2: Welcome to another Showtime with Coop edition. Uh, Insightful BS with my Laker teammates and NBA legends. And on a somber note, this this show will be called Gone But Not Forgotten. You know, COVID has just wreaked havoc over everything in our society now. And through that, not necessarily through COVID, we've lost some great, great individuals that played in the NBA family. And with me today is Bob McAdoo. Going to talk about some of these people. Uh, from Max' experience uh, and from my little experience with the ones we're going to talk about, uh, first will be Paul Westfault. Then we'll talk about the legendary coach, John Thompson. Then we'll talk about another great player, John Havlicek. And then we'll end it with a coach player and Jerry Sloan. Uh, so with that, we'll talk about Westphal, a great player, uh, NBA champion in 1974, five-time NBA All-Star, three-time NBA All-First Team. All NBA second team in 78, his number 44 was retired with the Phoenix Suns, second team All-American in college, and so on and so on. Uh, McAdoo, you know, you got a chance to play with him. I caught Paul toward the end of his career uh, and a uh, very good basketball player from Southern yeah. California, went to SC, very, yeah. very intelligent person, did a lot in the community, grew up in Torrance, California. So he's one of these Cali kids like myself. Um, tell us a little bit about him, Bob.
1: Well, I I first, me and Paul first came in contact at the uh, Pan American trials at the Air Force Academy. And I guess out of the 75 Uh, Players that were there, he was one of the guys chosen along with me to make that Pan American team. So I got to see his talent when we were, you know, we were like 19 or 20 years old. And uh, I mean, neither one of us knew we were going to be, you know, good NBA players. We were just happy to be great college players and make that uh, Pan American team. But I saw then that he was, you know, he was somebody that was you know, very good, he was, uh, he could leap, he could shoot, he had great moves, uh, you know, he was he was just a complete basketball player, you know, when I first met him at the Air Force Academy and in, you know, when we played in the Pan American game.
2: Well, you know what, he had that real unorthodox game. He had the ability to jump off the wrong foot and make layups at 6'4". Yeah. Uh, Paul was a big, big player. And yes. he was kind of like the big guard when Magic Johnson and they, they, they labeled him as that big point guard. Paul was that before Magic got there at 6'4 and could handle the basketball. And that was the one thing uh again about his playing career, had 12,809 points. That's 15 a game, 3,591 assists. Uh wasn't good in the steal area, just a thousand twenty-two steal, but his forte was putting the ball in the basket. And I remember playing against him. Uh, when he was with the Seattle Supersonics uh, mm-hmm. just before he got traded, uh, moved on. But uh, he was toward the end, but still had that ability to get a shot off. That uh, You can almost classify him as a very slow player, but methodical and very detailed on what he wanted to do on the floor.
1: Yeah, I'm, I mean, uh, you have the stats. What well, How many years did Paul get? About 12 or 13? Yeah, 12. Uh, 12 years. Uh, you know, once he got in the league, you you kind of knew if he could have gotten through the injuries that he was going to be a long-term player, because like you said, he was a big guard. Uh, He could guard, you know, uh, point guards, uh, two guards. And he was also a hard cover himself because he, he, you know, he was physical with his six, four. And uh, that's, that's what I remember him being when we first met when we were teenagers. And the first couple of years when we were, uh, in the NBA, and I guess the games that I remember most because we kind of lost contact after we went our separate ways in the pros. I remember that Phoenix Suns, uh, Boston Celtic um, triple overtime in the championship where he, you know, he was just he he had a fantastic series against the uh, Boston Celtics. You know, they just they they couldn't guard him. You know, but I, unfortunately. You know Boston ended up winning the championship because you know Boston in those times they just had the better teams than everybody. But Paul, he, you know, he was he was just a great player right from the beginning.
2: And I failed to mention in 2019 he was finally inducted and recognized for his talents into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame.
1: You know what I didn't I didn't know about that, but he you know he definitely uh, deserved that from his career. Uh, I was saddened. Uh, cause I, I hadn't heard it on the news. I just happened to pick up my New York Times one morning and I got to the obituary section and I saw it. and it was it's like it's like stuck in my heart because he's a contemporary of mine. We almost, you know, he's a year older than me. And I remember him when we were so young, it just kind of kind of stuck with me. and then I, I kept reading the article and it said, that uh you know I guess they found the cancer in his brain uh mm. summer of twenty twenty. So he didn't he didn't have a long time left after that. It must have been really serious. You know, when you when you hear that big C, it's just it's just devastating to hear, you know.
2: Yeah, that's uh <clears throat> one of the sad parts about our life. You know the one thing I like to say about people who have lived and gone on is that uh you know that, that the day that you were born and the day that you passed away the most significant thing in that is that little mark in between and I think all of us and Paul for sure and all the people we're going to talk about made significant impacts on the NBA and I'm pretty sure in their community and especially to their loved ones and, and Paul was very good about coming back to the community uh went on to be a coach in the NBA mm-hmm. coach with Lionel Hollins uh at Phoenix and um you know those are the significant things to me where i I really tells you about a man's purpose here on earth and and in this game of basketball because you know back when I first started playing, I never thought that I would see the end of me not playing, and I'm pretty sure you think the same, and I think again when we do things so you do it in the in the, in the respect of the game for the love of the game, mm-hmm. but you yeah. also do it for who you are and Paul's a good person deep down man good
1: Yeah, he person. was. He was. That's what I. That's what I remember. He was very respectful. Uh, I don't ever remember any controversy around his name. Uh, he, he was an upstanding citizen, and you know what I. I can't remember. I remember him getting a coaching job, but you know, like I said, we kind of, you know, after the Pan American Games, you know. Uh, all of us went our own ways. We started having our own families and I kind of lost contact. You know, I'd only see him, you know, we nodded at each other when we played against his teams, you know, as a player and a coach.
2: Two-time NBA All-Star Game head coach, nineteen ninety-three and ninety-five. And I'm kind of jealous about this, but he was an NAIA champion in nineteen eighty-eight as a coach. Wow. You think you could coach college kids, Matt?
1: Uh it would be, I think I could, but it would probably be difficult. You know, these guys, you know, we're from a different generation, and you'd have to, you have to give up a lot. You know, I mean, I see it with my own kids. Uh, you know, we just just don't think the same. We got different realities and stuff. You know, so uh, you know, I'm not a my way or the highway type of guy. But I do believe in discipline, and because, you know, I had so much excellence in my career, you know, sometimes when you're a great player, you know, you don't have the same type of sympathy when people don't take it, take things that they're doing on the court the same way you're doing stuff. So that's that's a difficult question, Coop. I mean, I think I could – but I think there would have been difficulty in it too. I mean, I mean, I did coach the pros, and I saw the difficulties in that too. Um, but uh, I, I, to answer the question, I, I think I think I could. I think I could.
2: You got to give Paul a little bit of extra credit because he's not coaching Division I NCAA. That's NAIA. Yeah. And you know, the players aren't yeah. as talented. But you know what? I think the thing that that you get at that level of coaching players, and it's almost like when I coach the women, um, is you get players that really want to learn. They're right there yeah. and they want to make yeah. that next step. And as a former pro player, which Paul was, he could give them that little extra. Plus, I also think, Mac, I think the one biggest thing that we have as coaches that are, have kids, is that you don't want to see them as your kids, but you understand the young mentality of coaching people.
1: Well, you you know, that's a good point, Coop. Uh, you know, you're talking about kids that's probably eager to learn. You know, if you're in Division I, NCAA, you you probably got some five-star talent on the team that, you know, they think they know it all. You know, everybody's been – kissing up to them since they were 11 and 12 years old and you know they're a little bit harder group to coach and then when you get to the pros you really can't tell them anything because they've arrived so you you're right you know Nai, you know plus they were looking at a guy who had been an NBA player you know they probably you know really respect he just had, probably had more respect coming his way than he would if he was a uh, Division one coach, not unless you're one of those Division one coaches that was already a Hall of Famer, or you know, had won an NCAA champion championship.
2: Uh, exactly, and staying along that lines of coaching, our next gone but not forgotten individual is somebody that uh, I would love to have played for. He was selected in the third round in 1964 NBA draft. Played two seasons with the Boston Celtics. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. From 64 to 67, 6'10, 270 pounds. John Thompson went on to have a stellar career uh, playing with Bill Russell, Casey Jones, and some of those type of players. And then going on and making his mark in the world that's probably very, very difficult Division one, going to Georgetown and coaching the likes of Patrick Ewing, just to name one player that he's coached. Uh, Alan he talks Iverson. About John Thompson. The NBA season is back. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get in on the action at exclusive partner, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 to get your 50% bonus. That's 50% extra cash at sign up with code CLNS50. Get insights into all the NBA action across the season, plus all sports professions, Collegiate as well as pop culture and even reality television wagering. Don't sit on the sideline anymore. Get in on the fun, in-season action at BetOnline. Don't forget to use my special Michael Cooper promo code of CLNS50 to get a 50% sign-up bonus with your first deposit. Bet online today at BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook expert. Going to Georgetown and coaching the likes of Patrick Ewing, just to name one player that he's coached. Uh, Alan he Iverson. about John Thompson.
1: Well, hey, John has known me since, since I was at Carolina because he was a good friend of uh, Coach Dean Smith. But when you said that weight 270, I see why John only played two years in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't be 6'10 and 270. But back but, uh,
2: back in the 60s now, you
1: know. They didn't do a lot of That's still running. too heavy. Hey, come on, Coop. Everybody back then was thin and skin <laughs> and bones, like me and you. You yeah. know, 270 is a little bit too heavy. But uh as a coach, you know, he gets big respect. You know, I I remember uh, you know, the Kembi Matumbo and Alonzo Mourning, who I, I coached. We, you know, we talked about John. I remember one time I asked Alonzo. I said, uh, Zoe, why why don't you have tattoos all over you like a lot of these guys? He said, Bob, John Thompson would have killed us. He didn't play, he didn't play that stuff. And when he thought, thought about it, it's like when Allen Iverson, when he was at Georgetown, he didn't have no tattoos. He got those tattoos when he got to the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, but John was a no-nonsense type of coach, coach, uh, I know he learned a lot from uh coach Smith at North Carolina. They were very good friends. Uh John had the opportunity to uh coach the Olympics. He uh he was the first you know let me know if I'm right or wrong. He was the first African American and won an NCAA championship. Yeah. Okay, I I was very proud when I saw that because when you see one coach do it, you you know that we belong in the coaching uh, profession. So that, that's what John Thompson brought to the table.
0: Well, and, and, and stick and sticking on that, I mean, sticking on that, I mean, think about how influential he's been in terms of, you know, black coaches and, and I mean, still, this is such an issue in today's world. And you think about all the things he was doing at that time for, you know, for black coaches in America and at that level, I mean, he, he was so influential in that regard and will continue to be, and even, you know, we need more John Thompsons in the coaching world because there's just – it's just not even close to enough representation of black coaches in, in college basketball.
1: Yeah, and he uh, – you know, he uh, – the way his teams played, you know, people don't give them credit. They, they talk about the bad boys from right. Detroit, you know, that physical play. Hey, Georgetown was playing that physical play in the Big East. And, I mean, I remember the other coaches in the league were calling Georgetown thugs and stuff. You know, that's because, you know, they were were over the rim. They were physical with you out on the court. I mean, John Thompson's Georgetown teams, you know, kind of started that type of play that eventually ended up going to the NBA.
2: You know what? The thing I like about him, and like I said, I wish I had an opportunity to play for him, is that his ability to let – players be players out on the floor yeah uh you know as a, um, a young black player coming up you always want to have that opportunity because again for us coming up in the 70s okay going to mexico we were kind of like controlled a little bit they yeah looked like it, his players had fun they were very very disciplined players and he was true 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 to the student athlete the one thing that i learned as a college coach for women i coach women at, at the usc I had a 89% graduation rate for my players, which Mm -hmm. was pretty high for back then. And again, for men and women, it's totally different. Coach Thompson had a 97% graduation rate among his team. He was very, very disciplined for these young men, not just to play basketball or that old saying, use basketball before it uses you. He really got them to do something because he knew one day basketball is going to end and what are you left with? You left with that thing on your shoulders, and how smart you are to go out in this world and still be a significant part of it. Well,
1: that, that's, that's big too. 97% at a yep. prestigious school like Georgetown, you know, I mean, you know, if these guys were not basketball players, more than likely they wouldn't have been able to uh, have gotten in Georgetown. And for them to get in as athletes and for most of them to, you know, stay for those four years and get that college degree from Georgetown that that's that's really big there
2: all right
0: he also um after coaching was he He was a really good broadcaster like I remember listening to him on games and he just you know he has that very deep iconic voice and I mean he he was just sometimes it doesn't translate when you're a coach or a former coach or a player uh in terms of analysis of a game and he's just so good at making it breaking down things and making it sound easy. Like it was just such a natural, it just seemed like whatever he did, he was good at. And he was, he's the type of person you want to aspire to be because of his work ethic and his ability to, you know, his, his, his aspiring for greatness. And, um, you know, I, I think, especially when you think of modern, modern coaches in college basketball, he's got to be one of the most influential modern coaches that we've seen in college basketball. Yeah, he is. He is. If
1: I, you know, I, I know John. If I if I had to rib him on something, I couldn't, you know, an announcer, a coach, I couldn't do it. But if I had to rib him, I'd say, John, two years, NBA, <laughs> really? <laughs> but I, 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 that's my way of having fun with him, right. you know.
2: I think for me, uh, the, the one thing i always remember him by, again, and watching those games and listening to him talk about the game of basketball, because as an announcer, he talked about the finer points, the details of basketball. Yeah. And everybody can see how high you can jump and, and dunk and shoot from. But he talked about people setting a pit, guards using the pit, those little – finite detail right but for me it's going to always be that white towel over his shoulder yep
1: the towel
2: uh, walking up and down that sideline looking and posing I think sometimes he did that because he scared the other team if his players didn't have that off he had it as a coach
1: (laughs) well I I got one image that I'll always remember from Georgetown I don't know if you you guys remember they played North Carolina in the championship the game was coming down They had to hit the last point. You know, they had an opportunity. And I think it was Freddie Brown was dribbling and James Worthy. He threw the ball to James out of the side, not paying attention. And James dribbled the clock out. And I remember John Thompson grabbing Freddie Brown and putting his arms around him in a moment that, you know, was just devastating for Freddie Brown. I, I, I'll i never forget that, you know, that was really something for a coach to do. You know, when he put his arm around Freddie Brown, he made probably the most, the worst turnover he could have made in the game when he gave it, you know, to James Worthy for North Carolina to win that championship.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point dude. I mean, great coaching is understanding how to coach individuals in, in a given moment. And, you know, that's one where you think here's this imposing 6'10", I mean, he was, he was, you know, he was an imposing dude and you'd think he'd be, you know, upset laying in. And you're right. It was like a moment where he needed to be held for like a better way to put it.
2: Exactly. Seven time coach of the year for the big East, uh, NBA, NABC coach of the year in 85, UPI coach of the year in 87, three time big East coach of the year. So on, so on basketball, Hall of Fame inductee in 2006, another one gone, but not forgotten. Coach John Thompson. Next, somebody that I really was in love with, a player that I really had a lot of uh, a feel for. Uh, I want to talk about him before I give out his stats, but John Havlicek, tell us about him, Matt.
1: Oh, Havlicek, Hondo, that's what they call him. He was, uh I mean, he was an energized up bunny, never stopped running, never stopped moving without the ball he was a, when I was in Buffalo, he was definitely a thorn in our side. Uh, you know, when I, when I heard of his death, it was to me uh, because I would seen him probably about two or three years earlier. We were at an all-star game together and he came up and he greeted me and stuff. And he said, Bob, I never told you this, but, you used to give Dave Collins hell. Dave used to pull, <laughs> Dave used to pull his hair out when he knew you were coming to town. And to hear that from Hondo, it meant something. Because, I mean, he's been a superstar all his life. And, you know, we had all these battles, Buffalo, Boston. And now that we were retired and older guys, he just came out and told me a uh, uh, a team secret that I never knew. I mean, you know, you, when you remember Dave Cowens, you remember a big, rough, tough guy that intimidated people. And it's just the matchups. He just, I, I gave him hell. i must say average between 37 and 40. Every time we played Boston, my hair stood up. And for John to say that to me, and he was laughing when he said it, he said, Bob, you, you just drove Dave crazy. I said, wow! You know, I I found out about that forty years after the fact.
0: <laughs> Is it fair to say that that Havlicek for the Celtics was kind of like Coop was for those Lakers? Just oh, feisty yeah. defensive presence that was feisty, just moving all the
1: time. You know, it's like, come on, Coop, slow down, man! You know, <laughs> that's, how, that's how Havlicek was. Havlicek, man, he just never stopped running. He re- they rarely put him on the bench you know, in a 48 minute game, I know he was playing 42 to 43 minutes. And this is even when he was in his mid thirties and late thirties, he was, he was playing a lot of minutes.
2: Eight time NBA champion, 63, 66, 68, 69, 74, 76 NBA finals, MVP. 1974, 13-time NBA All-Star. All I wanted was one, but I guess he took them off for me. <laughs> 66-78, four-time NBA All-First Team, uh, seven-time All-NBA Second Team, and five-time All-Defensive Player. And that's what I love uh, about him. Is that My uncle used to have us sit down and watch the Celtics back in the 60s. he said, watch that guy number 17. Watch the way he plays, and he pretty much did everything. He was a good ball handler. He was a good defender, a good passer. And, and have a check, um, uh, for lack of a better word, this was in our neighborhood. He was called the third-long white boy because <laughs> he just ran all day. He ran yeah, all, all, day. all day. All day. and hit all the shots that you got. But, all I day. mean, drafted by the Celtics uh, in 62, but he was also drafted by the Cleveland Browns in the NFL. You know that, Mac?
1: Yeah, I heard. I heard he was a foot. I heard he was a football player too. But he he did the right thing. <laughs> he did the right thing. You know, he saved his legs going to the NBA instead of going to NFL. But uh, I'm sure he would have been probably a great NFL player too. Because you know, you're talking about six five, great hands, could run all day. I mean, that's what people remember about John. He was moving all the time, moving without the ball. I remember our, our forward in uh, Buffalo, Jim McMillan, who was a great player in himself, he knew he was going to have hell on his hands because John was going to run you off of three and four picks. I mean, it just just mind-boggling the way he was moving all the time. His endurance was just incredible.
2: Mac, was he a trash talker?
1: No, never heard him say a word on the court you know the older players we we didn't do that you know we we had we we learned from way back you know like if they put the camera on you you couldn't tell if we were 20 points down or 20 points ahead this is how this is how that generation was taught you just you just didn't show your emotions on the court. I mean, this stuff now, you know, everybody's going crazy. I remember I was in Italy and I saw film and I saw Shaq make a dunk and he was doing all this. I'm like, what the heck is that? I mean, I mean, Wilt Chamberlain would make dunks. He'd run on back down the court. John Havlicek make a jumper, just run on back down the court. All this drama and stuff. This is in today's game, but I, I, I guess that's what people like now. We, we didn't
0: do that. But that goes along with trash talking, too? I get the celebrating. I get the celebrating for the trash talk, too? No, you never heard about trash talking. Back in our day,
1: if there was trash talking, there was going to be a fight.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> there was going to be a fight. And you, you didn't get $10,000, $25,000 fine. You was going to – somebody was going to meet you outside that locker room, and they were going to have their boys with them, and they are going to have their, their little gun in their bag. So They're they gonna take care of it right was, now, I'm back. They huh, weren't checking guns then. <laughs> yeah, uh, totally. They're
2: gonna take care of it right now. Forget they about the yeah, next
1: we, game. We this right now. We, Mac, they, you
2: know why they called him
1: Hondo? No, nah, I have no clue why they did that. Okay, in 1953,
2: John Wayne did the movie Hondo, and he that was his favorite actor, John Wayne. So he got Man, to pick up the nickname Hondo. Please,
1: please don't don't say nothing about John Wayne. I don't want to hear nothing about. I'm just John giving Wayne. you information you didn't know, nine. <laughs> you just screwed. You just messed up my day bringing <laughs> up John Wayne because you know I I can't even say it on this podcast about John Wayne. Hey you man, know? the Duke was all right, man. In our family, he
2: was the Duke. John Wayne, <laughs> yeah, famous cowboy
1: guy. Cooper?
2: Don't you Cuba, remember do that
1: I, movie? Cooper? Do I have to? Do I have to bring history to you?
2: Actually, you don't. But I'm just good for conversation.
1: Well, hey, you want me to? If you want me to say it on air, I will. Why?
2: Yeah, we like you to say it.
1: He said the only thing an end can do for him is shine his shoes. (laughs) I was done with him after I heard that. I was done. I want to no. I want to hear. I want to hear about no John Wayne. I had a chance to go into John Wayne Airport. I went to LAX. I didn't. I I didn't even want to go to his airport. <laughs> I even go to his airport, Mac. Thank you for enlightening me. I just want to. I just want to pull your coat because, because you know, I'm a little bit older than you. You know, and, and I know a few. You know, I grew up down south. You grew up in soft ass California. That shaded you from a lot of stuff. I'm a southern boy, so. I heard a lot of stuff and I saw a lot of stuff, you know? So, you know, I, I just had to pull your coat a little bit, Coop.
2: Well, thank you, McAdoo. That's why I love you so much because you're always enlightening me to things that uh,
1: are very important. Oh, yeah. I, hey, cool. we got to do it before we get six feet under, bruh. We got to let the younger generation know. That's the problem now. It's a disconnect between the older african American brothers and these young African American brothers, they, they, don't, they don't realize some of the stuff that happened uh, before, before, man. John
2: Havlicek, I will always remember his name when Johnny Most had that raspy voice and would yell out, Havlicek stole the ball, he stole the ball. I mean, that's probably one of the most iconic verbal moments
1: I remember. There's
2: been many more, been many more in the Celtic history, but that's one that'll always ring to me because it was like here, this guy is supposed to be a good offensive player. Not that he wasn't, but he was doing it on the defensive end. That's what I admired about him.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, he was, he 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 was incredible player. He just, you know, Celtics already had a bunch of all stars, but you know, I don't know how many years he came off the bench, but. When his time came and he started, you know, they just, they, just, they just kept right on winning. And he was, you know, he was a catalyst on a lot of those championship teams, you know, after Russell had left. Because, you know, I mean, with Russell there, you, you know, they were going to win. But like even when Russell left, you know, they were still winning with Hondo, you know, being the main engine for the Boston Celtics. Gone but not forgotten.
0: One more thing on Havlicek. He played his entire career with the Boston Celtics, obviously Coop with the Lakers. And, you know, we, we are in an era of NBA basketball now where a lot of people are turned off by the fact that there's so much movement by players. And, and you know, it's hard for, for, for people to, to be fans of teams because of that. And I think you know, here's a guy that played his entire career with one team and um, the rarity in the modern game of that happening now.
2: You know, Ari, that's a great point because, again, I think players today are either chasing money or they're chasing championships. I don't mind you chasing the championship, but sometimes – and the one person that i get off subject a little bit would be Michael Jordan. This guy stayed in Chicago, took his lumps, took his ass whoopings, but he finally put that together, and I think to me that's the – Uh, the shining moments of an organization, you being an organization that you have taken them from that point to nothing to where they are uh, probably one of the best teams in the decades, you know, depending on who you talk to, but having a check the same way. And, and, you know, my career, I had an opportunity toward the end. When Dr. Buss told me I'm 36, he took me out to dinner and he said, cool. I got two things for you. Either we can trade you or we can cut you. And then you go play for whoever I said, well, if you're going to trade me, who are you going to trade me to? He said, we had interest from the Celtics and the
1: Sixers. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know you said, no way, Jose. <laughs> I said, Doc, he
2: said, hey, he said, I got a job for you. If you want to, when you come back, you can do what you want to. But when you come back, you got a job here. I said, Doc, I'm going uh, I'm to I'm quit. And that's why I went overseas. Started yeah.
1: kicking
2: McAdoo's ass over something. Oh, no, no no, there. no,
1: no, no, no. You you know we came from Milan down there to Rome and served y'all up. Well, I mean, Coop, you came over there and made all the money. I can't believe that. You came over there and made double what everybody else was making. I'm like, Coop, what, what the heck is going on? <laughs> but I ain't mad at you, Coop. Good for you. Good we'll get for get you. Get off the subject, McAdoo. Anyway, oh.
2: <laughs> i come back. But you know what? The joy of staying with one organization, all of myself, Magic, James Worthy, Havlicek, and I'm pretty sure there's Michael Jordan, uh, is one of the greatest things about this sport that I do believe. And again, it's about the loyalty factor. Uh, although McAdoo played for other teams, I see him as just a Laker because he tried to dress like me. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey, hey, cool. How many times, do I have to bring back my old cards and photos with my long white socks and my strings hanging out of my pants? You copied that to the <laughs> t- I copied you. <laughs> you copied that to the T. Hey, Coop, I was doing that at UNC and I brought it to Buffalo. You was a johnny come Lately with that <laughs> stuff. And oh, when they talk about Bob Magner, they say, when they see your picture, they say, look at Coop trying to be like the can. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah, I love it. That's why I had you on this back. I mean, through yeah. the pain, sometimes you got to be able to laugh. And uh, <laughs> also John Havicek, uh gone but not forgotten. Mm-hmm. Our last soldier, uh, one who I really, really admired coming up in the 60s, was drafted uh, by the Bulls, uh, Jerry Sloan. Mac, tell us something about him, and I'll give out his
1: stats. Jerry Sloan. See, everybody in the league, I'm old enough, I played against Jerry Sloan when he was, with a, when he was a Chicago Bull. Jerry Sloan and Norm Van Leer. Oh, boy. When you went to Chicago or Chicago came to you, I was glad I was not playing point guard or two guard because those two guards were going to beat you up. And if you was a big or Ford and you going through the lane, you better stop where you were cuz Jerry Sloan was going to be there to take a charge on you. I saw him take so many charges in his career. He was so man, he was so tough, unbelievable. That that crew up in Chicago with him, they were a rough Crew at point guard. I know, you know, John Stockton and Malone, they they didn't know nothing about him because they were too young. But I I played against him. He was he was a tough character. And they told me he was he was a tough, no nonsense type of coach, too. He didn't take I I used to see him on the sidelines and he didn't care who it was. I saw him in a person's ear all the time. If he didn't like what you did or he didn't like your effort, he was a type coach. He wasn't gonna mince words. He was gonna let you know what was going on
2: as a player two-time all defensive second team his his jersey was retired number four by the Chicago Bulls as a player uh, 10,571 points comes out to 14 a game 5,615 rebounds 1,925 assists uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame Uh, one thing I, I always admired about Jerry like you said Matt is that he would take a charge and you know how these guys in today's game would hit the ground and then they lay there and ask their teammates to help them up. Yeah. Hit that ground, and get up by itself, man, yeah. and get back up and get into the fracas. And that's yes. what I love. And I think uh, again, as a, as a defensive player looking at a lot of these older players or the players when I was growing up, that was one of the things that really kind of I latched on to because again, as Jerry West once said, every team in this league has scores. They need people to do them other things. That's why yeah. a player like myself, Kurt Rambis, AC Green, hang around, ML Carr, Kyle Waiver, because they had that other intangible piece to help those championship teams not only to win championships, but to keep the consistency of what winning is about. You have to do all those things when nobody else is looking. I'm pretty sure ML was a very good, hard practice player. Matt, you know, when you were with us, and yeah. our second team used to whoop that first team's ass all the time, and we Walker. kept them sharp.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, that's that's what Jerry Sloan was about. I mean, Jerry Sloan was on a team with other super, I don't know if you remember Butterbean Love, yep. Chet Walker. Yep. Those were their two star Fords on that team. Um that probably got most of the ink, but Jerry Sloan, oh my God, he had to have been the glue to that Chicago Bulls team with his hustle, uh, him taking charges. He could hit the open shot. He was he was just a tough, hard-nosed basketball player. That's what I remember about Jerry when I played. I, I was a young player when he, was, you know, when I came in the league, he was probably 30 then. And, uh, boy, he was just so tough. You knew what was happening when we when you went up to Chicago and that old Chicago stadium to play them. And
2: you know what? As a coach, when he finally got to Utah, taking over that team with John Stockton and Carl Malone and Thurl Bailey, just to name a few, that team took on his persona as far as being gritty, tough, hard-nosed player, and and Jerry scared me one time. (laughs) We were playing up in Utah, and I was going down the sideline, and he got mad, and he jumped off the bench as I was coming down, and I didn't see him because I was close to the coach's bench, and he came off that bench like that, man. (laughs) I I tried not to be afraid of anything. That scared the shit out of me, man. I kind of like flinched a little bit and ran to the (laughs) other side, but that's how uh, focused and intense he was uh, not just as a player, but he took that as a coach, and that's why that that Utah teams were always so tough to
1: beat. I'm sure, I'm sure, because I mean, I mean, you you look at their two superstars. I mean, I saw both of those guys take charges. How many superstar players did you see take charges? You're right; they took on the persona of their coach. You know, those guys would hit the floor. You know, Malone, I mean, come on, Malone, 260, 270 pounds. I mean, it's it's almost like he's faking it because you hit him. He's like a brick wall, but, but he, he failed and took the charge. And you, you, you know, the guard, uh, you know, he was going to take charges. He, I I used to see him the way he set picks on people. He used to piss big guys off because he, he'd do that cross screen for Malone I mean, he would tear you up with that pick and didn't care. As little little and as slight as he was, he he wasn't afraid either. He he was definitely like Jerry Sloan, his coach.
2: You know what, Mac, as a coach, it's about developing players, whether you're in high school, college, or the pros. And one player I thought that came in the league and was just that average player that turned out to be a force because Jerry was in his ear, Mark Eaton. And Eaton had the height. But he yeah. had that toughness, and as he got, Jerry got up under his skin, and every every year you could see Mark Eaton becoming a more formidable, imposing, big guy up under there. And you know, yeah. then putting that together with how tall he was seven six,
1: seven seven, Mark was tough, man. Yeah, he was. He was. I, I remember playing against him. It's like, how can you sh- how can you shoot over this guy? He... Hey, hey, dude,
2: didn't he block your shot? And he didn't even jump. Didn't he block your jump? <laughs> and he didn't jump. He just put his hand up.
1: Coop, be serious. I would throw it over the backboard before I let somebody block my shot. He could be seven foot twelve. I wasn't gonna let him block my shot. But I, I wouldn't cra- I wasn't crazy enough to try to shoot it in his face anyway. He, he better come out there on the floor. Cause if he came out on the floor, it's see you later. I'm going right by you. And if he sat back in a zone, it's you know, like
2: Mark, he blocked your shot one time. One never,
1: your- Coop, never. Never. You, boy, you dreaming. Stay out of the twilight zone, bro.
0: <laughs> I, um, I grew up in Chicago and, you know, and so Storman Norman Van Leer was on the Bulls telecasts and he'd always reference that toughness of Jerry Sloan. And we talk about great coaches that the, the, the personality of those teams takes on the personality of their coach. And I think the jazz those years were so they were so much made. They were made in the same, you know, vein as as the style of play that he he, he played with, and I and I, you know I, I I covered the Spurs for years in San Antonio, and you know there's all these times that teams were being compared to the Spurs and organizations, and Greg Popovich always talked about always how he he basically learned everything he knew about building a franchise from Jerry Sloan, that that was a smaller market team that he knew. The, the same model that Jerry Sloan went through to build up that jazz program for as many years as they did as he did that that was what what how pop modeled what the Spurs were going to be, and obviously it helps to have Karl Malone and and John Stockton Jeff Hordesack, and it helps for the Spurs to have Tim duncan and you know the great players that they had but um I always found it to be interesting because I think the the jazz those years are so underrated you know they they ran into the Bulls unfortunately for them they never won a title because of that but I mean you're looking at what Malone's second third all-time league scorer, uh Stockton's number one all-time in assists Mm -hmm. so I don't know that people understand how good those jazz teams were because they never won and how good I think uh uh, Jerry Sloan was because of that because they never won a title
2: yeah I agree with you on that because they you know it was unfortunate or fortunate however you want to see it is that they had to play against us a lot of times and they took us to the limits every time and uh, but you know Jerry was a big big factor of that whole organization changing and becoming what they are today you know yeah. they have a very good basketball team today but uh he's another one that we lost along the way Paul Westfall coach John Thompson John Havlicek and Jerry Sloan gone but not forgotten Macadoo you right
1: you right thank you do any You're words? right words what you guys got what you got going on Hey, Coop, I'm just, you know, just trying to stay safe, man. I mean, I'm I'm thinking about you when I'm when I'm watching the news and I keep hearing about this pandemic and how it's raising havoc out there in California. And I, I'm just hoping you and Mr. Big, I talk to Big once in a while. I hope you guys are staying safe out there, man.
2: Mac, you know, I got a wife, and she don't let me leave the house. And I don't mind being under control. Now, <laughs> if I was 25, 30 years old, I'd be bucking the system. <laughs> I'm uh that old horse up there now. You know, you see all the, the, the mares down there? I ain't going to run down there. I'm going to walk down there. All I need I is
1: hear <laughs> I hear you. I How, hear you. How's your, how's your hip doing, Koo? Cool? Oh,
2: better, man. Really better. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Another episode of Showtime with Coop with the one and only and always laughable Bob McAdoo.
1: And you know that. (laughs)
2: Thanks, nine.
1: Okay, man.